not going to do it. Okay. We've turned a leaf. Oh, now, now, really, now I really want to do it. Oh, well, it's up to you. Recording in progress. Um, it's not as good. Uh, it, it's not as good. Not right afterwards. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. How are you doing today? Good. Um, just organizing my life for the next, I would say two weeks. Tell our listeners why. So I am going in tomorrow to get, essentially, I would say it's the second part of the mastectomy done. Um, the first part being April 2022, when I got obviously the left breast with the cancer in it removed. Um, and then now I've decided I don't want reconstruction. Don't want to do any of that. Sounds like far too much work. Far too much, far too many surgeries, far too much recovery. I don't have the patience for that. Um, so instead, I am gonna go completely flat. Um, so got a pretty was referred to um a pretty cool plastic surgeon who specializes in like tra- uh, top surgery for trans folk. Um, so have a lot of faith that she can make me all neat and tidy. And uh, so, yeah, that's tomorrow. Um, Got to get up nice and early and drive up to Squamish General Hospital for the surgery. Ooh, and, hopefully you um, get a good sunrise drive. I mean, that is one of the most beautiful highways in the world if you don't live here. I mean, you're not wrong. That's the thing. It's beautiful. And um, someone who I talk to every now and then on Instagram was like, you are going to see all the crazy icicles of the highway right now. Yeah. Apparently it's very pretty with all the icicles because it's obviously been pretty damn cold. So um, at least I'll get a good, you know, view on the way up. On the way back, I won't care because I'll be groggy and just want a nap. But um, on the way there, because <laughs> I'm not allowed to drink or eat anything after midnight tonight until oh. after my surgery. So I can't even have my morning coffee or any, not even water. Uh, so you're going to have to really just indulge in the visual yeah um, stimulation and, en- of the and enjoy I don't know enjoy the taste of my mouthwash I guess <laughs> <laughs> oh you make it sound so exciting Sus. Monday morning morning, um, Monday but, morning mastectomy Check. I know right but I think I'm the second person for the day so I've got to get there for oh. like 9 15 so um, they usually do the first surgery at like 8am or something really early like that. So I think I'll probably get in at like 10 or 11. And then apparently, yeah, it takes three hours, mm-hmm. she said. Okay. Um, wow. This is to remove the existing, the remaining, mm-hmm. and go back into the original site and neaten it all up because they left it in a way that they assume you want reconstruction. Yeah. To be fair, at the time, you have no idea what you want. Yeah. Um. So like fair. And then also they do um some liposuction under like the side boob area. And then, you know, that like bit of fat you get on your like front just yeah. before you get to your armpit. Yeah, where it always sticks out of sports bras and tank tops. That bit, yeah, that people can be quite self-conscious about. I've never actually cared, um, but it's just a lot more noticeable when you're completely, completely flat. So they remove that fat as well to just give you a better silhouette ultimately, which... Mm-hmm cool fine by me pretty amazing that you have the choice to do that nowadays like the mm. and the, they have the scientific they've got the science figured out yeah like the the process figured out and the, the techniques that mm. you can fix all that up and make it look nice and seamless and and reshape right, the body yeah. it's beautiful 
totally and like yeah. just how the body heals I'm always it always just amazes mm. me it always did but like going through this kind of thing myself I'm just like it's so crazy impressive and like from two years ago when I obviously last had the surgery the scar now it's just this white line like it's just and they just super glue you up they just super glue and stick some steri strips on there and you're like you're good to go you know and so I am um, I got we, we bought off Facebook marketplace a lazy boy recliner electric because obviously okay. I won't be able to do a lever um so I've got my buttons on my side for all my chair features so I'm gonna live in that probably for at least two weeks um I'm gonna try and sleep in it because it's better positioning because you have to obviously sleep on your back for like at least I think last time it was at least a month I don't really remember mm-hmm. um and the temptation of rollover when you're asleep. I don't know about you, but uh, I like do totally. I, I, I do practically like sausage rolls in my sleep all night long. So yeah, I got like a aura, punishment. I got an aura ring in December, and it tracks my movement while I'm sleeping, and I can oh, see okay. like lines going up and down because I don't I move all the time in my yeah. sleep. But yeah, that would be hard. That's gonna be tough. yeah. So when you have to literally like last time I had it, I had to be penned in with like pillows either side of me. Um, because when you're asleep, you don't, you're not in pain, so oh, you do want to roll over. And, yeah. But obviously, can't do that. So the recliner seems pretty cool. Literally parked in front of the TV. Love it. <laughs> um, and I decided if any, I mean, I know you love Friends. I love Friends. Um, mm-hmm. and there's the Friends episode where we'll learn about Joey's r- lazy boy's name. Yes. Um. So I've named Rosita. mine the same name, Rosita. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um. Which I thought was quite funny. So amazing. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. Do you have any? Um. Do you have a list of books and TV shows and movies that you want to watch? Um. We're gonna um get. Do you know when you feel like you've exhausted like Netflix and shit? I don't know. Like I'm just yes. like there's nothing I fancy. Blah blah yeah. blah. So we're actually gonna pay for BritBox for probably about a month. Nice. Um, My parents do that. They love it we've never tried it like we do mm-hmm. still watch british tv but we just use a vpn and stuff and do it that mm-hmm. way and then it, there's a lot of like using obviously the laptop and that sort of stuff so this is obviously an easier way to do it so we thought we'd give that a shot there's you know gotta love some british comedy and stuff right totally there's nothing like it i'm gonna bring you some books and for when you feel like reading and john and i will make you a meal when we get back from ontario Oh my god, that was, I mean, Matt will be very grateful because obviously he's mm. gonna have to look after me for the entire time, um, which he's obviously had practice for. But we normally take turns with the cooking and all that kind of stuff, yeah. so it's kind of all on him. Well, all of you listening, send Sue some good vibes for tomorrow. Thanks. And, well, actually, by the time you hear this, it will I'll have done already it. happen. It will be days past, so just send her good vibes for recovery. Because I'll be sitting with my T Rex arms. In, in my recliner yeah listening to our podcast and god knows what i don't know what net um, like brit box rabbit hole i'll have gone down by that point all right we'll send recommendations her way dark comedies on my jam dark comedies she likes um kind of escapism novels definitely yeah there's lots that you can send Sue's. just make it funny not too funny though, because okay. if I laugh really hard, that's gonna hurt. Oh, yeah, okay. That's wow, that's I know, true. right? Like mm-hmm. laughter is the best medicine, but uh, when it hurts to laugh. Well, gentle, really gentle fun. laughter, gentle, gentle comedy. Gentle comedy. <laughs> gentle comedy. Like the lady some... who says recording in progress, that kind of level of gentle. I comedy. need some gentle comedy. Um, yeah. So I guess maybe like more old school, like British comedy, maybe. Um mm. okay. 
maybe some of uh, you know I uh, like go to favorites. Um, I don't know, you know, people people who watch like IT Crowd, right? And right. like that kind of totally like that's that amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, love that kind of comedy. Like Black Books, it'll I'll probably watch that again because that's hilarious. Um, but yeah, it's I guess it's it's quite good if I've already seen it and then I know the jokes in a way, so they're not going to be like laugh out loud funny, but it's going to cheer me up. Because mm-hmm. we'll all have those like comfort TV shows, don't we? Totally. Yeah, absolutely. I always um, throw on Sex in the City when I have nothing else to watch just because it's mm-hmm. totally trashy and easy to consume. Yeah, I was just going to ask what funny. your go-to comfort TV was. I mean, Friends always, always, Yeah, always. I was going to say. Um, we, I'd never seen Seinfeld growing up, but John was really into it. So I recently watched most of Seinfeld with him. Not mm-hmm. the same feeling for me as Friends, but still very funny. And now I actually understand people's references to Seinfeld when they it's, talk about it. It's funny you should say that because do you remember, you know, when we had John on the pod and he mentioned Seinfeld yes. and he was talking about his theme tune. Mm-hmm. Um, and, he, and he ended up doing the Seinfeld theme tune um, it inspired me because it'd been a long time since I'd watched it and I'd only watched like I did that whole it's not like Friends where I've re- we rewatched Friends like 50 million times um, I'd like watched it one time and then like that was it and that was a long time ago so I kind of forgot about it but he inspired me to watch it again um, right. and so I'm actually slowly going through Seinfeld again right now too and so I think I've still got a few seasons left so that'll at least it's funny to go through in order too, because they make references to previous episodes in yes. future episodes. So yeah, no, I'm, I'm doing it in order. I'm just, yeah, a little bit of slow binging, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm also into when I want like a cozy Saturday afternoon movie or something. I really like a good old 90s British rom-com with Hugh Grant, something like that. Four Weddings and a Funeral, Notting Hill, one of those ones that always makes me feel good. We did um, What a Girl Wants the other weekend with Colin Firth. Excellent. And Amanda Bins before everything went a bit wild. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, yeah. I used to watch her all the time when I was younger. I was curious about, you know, the guy in it, the like the love interest guy in it. Oh, yeah. Um, I I'm, I do that thing where if I'm watching a movie, especially an older movie, I like to find out what people are doing now. I agree. I do the I'm same thing. Person. I am DB like, all the way. Totally. I'm like, what are they doing now? Um, so I get myself on the internet while I'm watching something because I have a problem and I can't not do it. Um, it turns out he's like a therapist or something in London now. Oh, how random! Very cool. Uh, yeah, he has like his own clinic and stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. But um, he didn't nice. do anything. I don't think he did any film, any movies after that one. That's kind of nice to hear because sometimes you're like, oh, unfortunately, they've just been in some like random roles in TV shows that haven't mm-hmm. gone very far. But that's like a different career path. Well, I guess he was pretty young when that movie came yeah. out. So yeah, I guess you don't really far. know what you want to do, right? No, exactly. Child- I'd actually just listened to a podcast that was talking about the Robbie Williams documentary and about- Oh, I still, that's something on my list. I, ha- I need to watch Yeah, that. I haven't seen it. I was a fan though. And I like kind of knew of Take That through my mm-hmm. mom. But um, yeah, that was an interesting take on Robbie Williams and how he was literally a child star. Yeah. I yeah. think we'll forget that about a lot mm-hmm. of them. Yeah. And then and, you're like, you no know, wonder you went off the rails a little bit. Like, come on. Yeah, and he's like, and you know, he's like really into himself. But of course, you know, you would be if your whole life has been you in the starlight, right? Yeah, right. So it's um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I no, I, I I being famous was never something I was ever wanting to do. No, and that's I think again something that we love about this podcast, and we spoke about it with this week's guest about how 
it doesn't, we don't necessarily want to speak to people that already have a platform. We want to speak to people who are like maybe just as cool as celebrities, but just don't shout to the cloud, shout to the stars about it. Mm -hmm. Um, and our, our guest this week, he was saying that his wife said he needed to brag more because he has all these impressive accolades that he, you know, probably has sitting in a frame in his office, but not many people know about. So, um, do you want to give our guests a little preview of who Dennis is? Totally. Um, so I, there's a fun little, um, you know, when you just get to know people through various different platforms and it's quite an interesting way sometimes how you end up keeping in touch with people too. Um, so uh, Dennis, our guest this week, he is somebody who I literally know because I used to work with his daughter. Um, so hi, Adrian, if you're listening. Um, we started working together when I first moved to Canada um, and we worked for Lush Cosmetics, um, which most people are familiar with. It's actually a British company, but um, we both started on the exact same day in the exact same store over in Calgary. And so through getting to know Adrian, um, her dad would pop in every now and then and that's Dennis. And so you would have some chats every now and then. And um, obviously, you know, as you do, as you get to know somebody, you know, Adrian would share things and then we ended up following each other on Instagram from a few years ago. And then you start realizing, oh, this person actually does some cool stuff. And this is really interesting. Um, And he, you're right, I think has turned his hand to mo a lot of things, like a lot of things. And you, to the point where I'm like, how have you fit all this stuff in to your life, essentially? Um, But we very much talk around um his... Um, main I would say career um, which was an um, architect so that's pretty cool we've not had an architect on before no that's true so that like as you say it's nice to get to know and hear from people who aren't famous but have also potentially done equally cool if not more interesting things I would say mm -hmm. um, let's give a given a platform to you know the brain's of the planet I'm saying that's that's how I'm feeling yeah and he's a bit older than us I mean obviously a bit older I say he's like your colleague's dad so he is older yes. than us um you know and he's in another generation and I think that's also really nice too there's just so there's so many decades of experience there mm -hmm. and, and like you said he has his hands in so many different things which yep. is we we learn about as the podcast episode unfolds and um yeah it's so nice I love I love, I met a man the other day on a dog walk and he has lived and built a house in my neighborhood in the seventies and he's lived there forever and seen everything transform. And I, and he invited me over for a tea and I was like, oh, I'm cool. actually going to come over and he's yeah. Trinidadian and, and moved to Vancouver to be, you know, near the ocean and, um, be in Canada. And, um, I was like, oh yeah, I'm totally coming over. Cause I know like in the 20 minutes we were talking on the street together, we only scratched the surface of stories yeah. that I know he has to tell. So I really love these kinds of conversations with people who are in an older generation and have had so much life experience, but, you know, are still willing to listen and share and, and, um, share their knowledge with the world. So I'm super happy that we had this conversation. Yeah, me too. Um, let's get to it then. Let's take a listen. Okay, perfect. Um, thanks for joining us, Dennis. We're going to dive in, actually, um, and have you tell us and our listeners just a little bit more about yourself. Okay. Uh, I'm in my early 70s. 
but most of my friends are in their mid thirties. I was gonna say you don't look it, so, it keeps, so you're saying well, it keeps me young. Uh, I'm an architect. I'm an award-winning author of nonfiction works. Uh, I've had several books published. Uh, I'm a Canadian-Italian dual citizenship. Uh, my master's degree was in creativity and design. Uh, I'm married. I have a beautiful wife, two adult children who are pretty good most of the time. <laughs> no one of them, so you can vouch for that. I do. It's just and pretty good. I'll give you that. I'm a yeah. court-qualified expert witness. I do liability cases wow. that are totally unrelated to architecture or design or anything else. So I have wow. kind of a dual life. Yeah, I was going to say dual citizenship, dual careers. Yeah, exactly. Now, which um, which job is related to which uh, citizenship? Do you think <laughs> the creativity and design is more Italian? Oh, it's Italian, definitely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then the liability thesis, I used translations that I, I stuff I translated from the Italian, and mm, and I did research cool. into sort of the original meanings of design and how it's gone from sort of capturing ideas, disegno. In Italian was capturing ideas and sketches. So if you think of Leonardo's sketchbooks, mm -hmm. Leonardo da Vinci's sketchbooks with all of his ideas, that's the original meeting. And it's sort of morphed into finished product, production, all those kinds of things. And I looked at how top, in my master's thesis, I interviewed top designers in seven different fields, none of which were architects. And I structured a set of questions to find out if they actually follow sort of the disegno approach to design or if they were all about the finished product. And that that's won an award. So wow, that's very cool. Yeah. And the Trevithick Book Award. So that's how I became an award-winning author. And well, it was very interesting because even the guys who were like computer animators, uh game designers, <laughs> their version of Disenial. As a bike, it was fun actually. I had a good time. You know, I made friends that I keep still in touch with. And they're all brilliant in their own fields, which is nice to talk to people who know way more than you do. A, it's a humbling experience. And B, you it just makes you think more. So I had a good time. And I made money. I I made $150 profit on my master's thesis. <laughs> well, that's better than most, I would say. So that's, that's right. Yeah. Pretty good mm -hmm. going. Yeah. 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 Not enough to retire on, but go for lunch a couple. Well, of you're times. not doing a very good job at retiring anyway. So no, I'm not. I've been semi-retired, I was saying, for the past 12, almost 15 years. Wow. Yeah. And I keep getting dragged into it for different things. Mm -hmm. And I, I think. As, as an older, I've mentored, uh, I spent uh, two semesters at one of the colleges mentoring four interior design students. Uh, two went on to become architects and, and the other two are in interior design and they still keep in touch with me. We go for lunch, Love and hang out and talk about stuff, mm -hmm. boyfriends or <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so great. <laughs> Why they like their job. Think, I mean, various and sundry things. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important because to me, I learned just as much as they could ever learn from me. And young kids today, I think, are smarter than, well, for sure, when I was their age. And they have a different way of thinking that 
I don't quite understand sometimes, but <laughs> I have, it makes me kind of stop, pause and reflect on the stuff I've been doing. And it, I think it's good. So it's a two way street. Yeah. That's the beauty of intergenerational learning and, and relationships is that understanding of, you know, what, what was done and what is now done and, you know, how we can fuse the two minds together. Right. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, so how did you initially get into um, the world of architecture and design? Okay. I, I'll tell you the story that my wife always scolds me about. <laughs> my undergraduate degree was in Chinese archaeology. So it was the archaeology. And I, I had an opportunity to go to China for grad school. And that was right at the end of the Cultural Revolution. So that'll give you an idea how old I am. <laughs> And I was talked out of it. My faculty advisor talked me out of it. He said, oh, no, you won't get a job. And, you know, you're that's not a good place to be right now and this and that. So I thought, OK, what else can I do, A, that I could make a living at and something that I liked? And the only other thing was architecture. So the joke story that my wife scolds me about is architecture was the next A <laughs> subject on the list. <laughs> But actually, there's a whole background to that, and I'll get into it, because you asked me, uh, the questions you sent me, you asked me about my mother being a designer. Yeah. She influenced me. So we can talk about that. You want to talk oh. about that? No, let's, let's bounce around. Oh, that's pretty fun. Yeah. Just... Okay. So in, yeah, terms of, in terms of design influence, just about zero. So my mother studied um, industrial dressmaking and millinery, so hat making. And when she passed away in let this past July, she was the oldest living uh, graduate of SAIT. And it wasn't even called SAIT when she went there. And for their 100th anniversary of the original building, they had a display of all of her sketchbooks and notebooks because we donated them to the archives. Oh, that's cool. Hired, they had hired a um, costume designer to recreate one of the pieces that my mother had done because she had the sketches and the patterns. So they mm -hmm. actually made it as a display for this hundredth anniversary. That's pretty special. That was, it was excellent. But in terms of actual influence on me as a designer, she had just about zero influence because we never really talked about design. She encouraged me to try things because as a child, I was quite shy. And she would always kind of push me to do things, sometimes against my will, but a lot of times, you know, and and I appreciate that. One example is I wanted to take up fencing and I was 15. And in those days, fencing was not a very popular sport. Now everybody does it. But in those days, it wasn't. And the only club in town was all they were all adults. They were all instructors. One was a provincial champion, one was on Canadian champion. And they said, well, we don't take adults. Oh, yeah, but he really wants it. She convinced the, the president of the club to take me as a student. So she was always doing those kinds of things. And, and that I appreciate very much, especially now reflecting on it as an mm -hmm. adult. So it's the kind of thing I do for my kids or the, the mm -hmm. students I mentor. Uh, so that was the positive. But my father is actually who got me into architecture. He had studied okay. architectural design in Italy. Wow. For the war. And his 
professor was Lino Guardin, who was the head of the Academia de Bella Arte in Venice, which eventually became the architecture school. Nice. So he trained under him. And then after the war, because everything was destroyed, mm -hmm. he became a stonemason bricklayer and eventually my, emigrated to Canada. And he taught me like construction materials. He was a, so he was a bricklayer stonemasoner and he, he trained terrazzo. So he was a terrazzo. For oh, cool. Person. Yeah. He hated doing it because he had bad knees from the war. Uh, but uh, he taught me construction geometry. He he used to tell me stories when I was young about the lives of the artists, mm -hmm. you know, Giotto and Brunelleschi, who's probably my favorite architect of all times. And I learned about building from him. And that's how I decided, okay, I'm going to be an architect. So he was the biggest influence in architecture of me becoming an architect in my life. So even though both of them were designers, my mother sort of played a secondary role. And my father, who was a very, very quiet man, was the driving force behind me going to architecture school. So it sounds like together they both had a big influence on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And they yeah. were they built their own house, you know, and they both worked on building the house that I grew up in. Nice. And, That's uh, they they were very they had a good work, they had a good marriage and they also had a very good working relationship, which also taught me about how to go out and work with people in the real world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, there's give and take and sometimes you argue and sometimes <laughs> you get along perfectly. Um, and that's, that's how I became an architect. Your first and interest that you mentioned that never um, where you then went to the second letter, the second A in the alphabet and found architecture. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. In terms of your um, your first interest, has that come back around for you at all at any point? Multiple times. Yeah. Not only through my design career, in my writings, in my lectures. So I worked, so I was doing a doctorate degree in kinesiology and as you do yeah wow yeah. <laughs> really jumping totally, all over totally, the place yeah there's a long story you don't have enough time for this story anyhow what happened i had a, a retinal hemorrhage the major vessel in my left eye exploded so i had to withdraw oh, from man. well i went blind so i i had to withdraw from the program mm -hmm. and as i was recovering i uh my wife wanted me out of the house because she didn't like me around every day I Not that relate. she didn't like me, but she said, I have to go do things and, you know, stimulate my mind. Mm -hmm. So I ended up working as a, as a um, writing tutor, academic writing tutor at the university, a couple of days a week. And I would run into people and we'd be talking. So one of, one of my friends, Sarah Eaton, she's an academic integrity uh, professor. And she said, oh, we were, we were on a committee together. And she said, oh, you should write an article for our journal. So I wrote an article that tied in academic integrity, reducing plagiarism, and I tied it into the study of Chinese painting. So it was published. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's totally diverse. Kind of cool, though. I love that diversity. Oh. Yeah, you can look it up online or I can send you a link. 
So I looked at how Chinese, because people, you know, the Chinese students come and everybody says, oh, they copy and it's plagiarism and that's allowed in their culture. Mm. But actually, it's never been allowed in the Chinese culture. You copy to learn in painting, you copy to learn technique, Mm -hmm. to learn composition, those things. But, you know, it's cheating's cheating, right? (laughs) So what I took the perspective from Chinese painting and the famous art art historian critic Xia Ho. He had six principles for Chinese painting. And I took those and I applied it for writing and reducing plagiarism and how you could use it in a classroom. And I sent it in and they said, yeah, we'll publish this. It was like, <laughs> it was That's a done so- deal. And they said, we did some editing. They changed two commas, I think. In the- <laughs> <laughs> That's a win. I said, yeah, I can live with the two commas. Yeah. <laughs> That's so great. (laughs) That's the kind of thing that, um, you know, uh, students might ignore that kind of paper, but when you throw that sort of creativity into it, if this is an example of what has been done in another culture, maybe, maybe more people read it. I don't know if you know, but Uh, the academics read it. And my old supervisor, who's a professor in down East, Pass the article around to everybody. He knew. Amazing. Yeah. So people would say, oh, I really like this art. And I thought, okay. You know, typically you get two readers. You're, you know, you're a success. <laughs> Wonder <laughs> One of which is your mother. But, you know, that's oh, yeah, what I'm yeah. saying. You know, typically it's very difficult. But I thought, well, I have an idea. And I went ahead and did it. And it turned out okay. I mean, not every idea turns out, especially in architecture. Mm-hmm. But you have to try those things. And I think, especially for young people, you have to encourage them to try those things that they may not be good good at or great at or, you know, but it makes them think, makes them work, makes them grow. And in my age, I'm still thinking and growing and working. And, you know, so I, I think there's more lessons than just the final product. Yeah. Yeah, and I've lectured on architecture, Chinese architecture, garden design. I've lectured on, mm-hmm. you know, I've written papers on Chinese philosophy, like for popular culture, not for academic culture. Oh, that's so interesting. So, I'd love to, uh, I'd love to read those. You'll have to send them over. I've been uh, diving more into. Um, I'm very interested in nutrition and wellness, and I've been di- diving into traditional Chinese medicine, and it's just so fascinating learning from Eastern cultures about <laughs> things that have existed for so, so, so many years and centuries. And yeah, it's just fascinating. So, yeah. So my PhD proposal in kinesiology was using Eastern approaches to movement like Tai Chi Mm. uh, for stage one cardiac rehabilitation. Wow. So I did everything. I had the proposal (laughs) done. You know, I got, I'm all set to write my, my, uh, um, can't remember the word. Dissertation. I'm sorry. No, not my dissertation when you have to present. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, def- uh, it's not defense. Your defense? Yeah, anyhow, I went blind, so didn't matter. I couldn't finish any, so I pulled out. And now I shame, see, so that's the good news. <laughs> was, it not something, was it not something you were able to go back to? My supervisor retired. Oh. And there was nobody else that 
can take up the slack because nobody knew anything about what I was talking about. Yeah, fair. Mm. That's a shame. Yeah. Anyhow, but well, life life happens. Yeah. Um, with you getting into architecture, what's what do you think's changed over the years from when like you were even learning? Um, have you noticed any fundamental changes to the world of architecture? Yes, <laughs> the short answer. So I I went to school and I worked and I went to school and I worked. So I, I was in school three different times in architecture school. Right. So the first time I went was before the invention of computers and AutoCAD and everything. So mm. everything we did was hand drafted. So, you know, I learned how to do pen and ink rendering with uh, ruler pens and rapidograph pens, which I still like to do. They're beautiful, quality. too. Mm -hmm. I, I think, yeah, well, there's one on my Instagram. Anyhow, that, I, I, did I, that. I did see that. Yeah, they yeah. they still they have very much an artistic quality that I think a lot of people like to go back to a little bit. But... Yeah, there's a lot of movement yeah. back towards hand drawing. So that's how I started. And then I, I went. I took time off and I worked in an office to learn more about the business to make sure I wanted to continue. And then I did three years at the University of Cincinnati in historic preservation because I thought that might be a way to tie in my architecture, archaeology, mm. kind of dual loves. And I trained under the, he was the head of historical preservation. He was a presidential advisor for historical preservation in the United States. So he was like the top guy. And in those days, you had all sorts of grants and money for adaptive reuse and rehabilitation. And then I think Reagan or somebody came in, I can't remember, and got rid of all that. So I went back, came back to Canada, and I worked for a few years uh, doing design and and I had a few clients. I, I did work in the U.S. I did design work, design build work for a contractor for the U.S. who did work for the U.S. government. So I learned a lot about the business end of, of architecture. And then I went back and, and finished up. So, so from the time I started to the time I finished, AutoCAD had already been introduced and computer drafting. And what I've seen since that time is more to me in a lot of schools, not to say all of them, but a lot of schools, there's more emphasis on the tools as opposed to the thinking. Mm, okay. So the tools tend to, uh, tend to shape the mind of the user. Mm. So if I have a program that only allows me to do certain things, and I use that program, my design will tend to reflect the limitations of that program. Does that does that make sense to you? That totally makes sense. And it makes mm -hmm. me wonder whether um this the the creativity aspect behind this side of the design world, whether it's become more limited, whether it's, you know, I don't know, just become a little bit less. Um, I don't know, you know, when you sometimes feel like you see houses or buildings nowadays and they all kind of look the same um, yeah. and there's a lot less individuality. I think that's what I'm looking for. Do you, right. do you, are you therefore finding that that's what's happening? Yeah, so they're standardizing design based on mm -hmm. that. So I'm, 
and I'm not anti-computers. I've used them totally. in a couple different programs. But I think what happens is, especially in school, is they introduce the computer too early in the thinking process. Mm -hmm. So you don't get an opportunity to kind of hash out ideas or, you know, that kind of messy thinking. Mm -hmm. You have an idea and you go to the computer, you know, and a lot of students now, because we have the internet, they go online and, oh, we have to design a hospital. Bang. Mm. Here's 58 designs for a hospital. Let's pick one and, you know, we'll change the the finishes on the outside. Uh, Alberto Campos Bayas, who's a famous Spanish architect, I think he won the Pritzker Prize, which is like the Nobel Prize for architecture. Mm -hmm. He made a comment in one of his books where he said, uh, he, he he compares these kind of cookie cutter architects as salesmen. He said, who are these salesmen? Where did they get their so-called degrees in architecture? And why are they doing so-called design? So he's, you know, he's very, and I'm kind of paraphrasing it, mm -hmm. but he's very critical of that. Everything looks the same. Yeah. And I think to me, and from my research, when I was doing my grad stuff for creativity and design, the computer is coming in earlier and earlier. So you're you're producing people who can run the programs maybe better than me, maybe not, but they can. I'll say they all can, but they don't understand how a building goes together. Mm -hmm. So when I was working, even when I was practicing architecture, I, I did a house for a client in Montana. It was 10,000 square foot house, first solo project I ever did. Wow. I would go out and frame and lay, do do cement work with the guys and, you know, help do with the plumbing. And because mm -hmm. I wanted to un truly understand how the building goes together. And that's in the old days, according to my father, that's how architects were trained in Italy. You actually had to go and work with the craftsmen. Which so kind of feels like it makes sense, right? Yeah, yeah. I think but people don't do that. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think that's that's something that should still be a practice. My my partner is in the trades, he's an electrician, and he often will say, you know, they're reading these drawings and they make no sense because the person maybe, you know, didn't go in and understand how they do their work. And yeah. there's different, you know, layers to it, and they have to work, you know, cohesively with all the other uh, workers trying to get the building put together, but that initial drawing may have not thought of all of those little elements that went oh, yes. into it, right? Yeah, I did a retirement house for my niece and her husband. And one of the things she wanted, she kept moving one of the bathrooms. <laughs> and she said, I want the bathroom here. And I said, you can't have the bathroom. There. She says, I insist that's where I want the bathroom. I said, okay, fine. I said, now you understand that the, the pipe the piping system is going to come up in the middle of the floor in the main, you know, in your living room. Oh, okay. Maybe we shouldn't put the bathroom there. So yeah. we moved it back to where I had it originally. Yeah. The well, had you not originally, you. Sorry, was I, was just gonna, I was just going to say, had you not originally had that knowledge, you, you couldn't, you might not have advised that and it might've got too late in the process before anyone oh, yes. notices that that doesn't make sense. Yeah, and, and you'll see a lot of that. Like, I see a lot of it. Like, uh, one thing I was going to say about electricity, electricians, <laughs> yeah. I learned one thing working with electricians, I would never do that job. Electricians, yeah. plumbers, 
they're in a world of their own and I respect them for it. I would never do that. So your partner's job is safe. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we seem to need electricity more and more these days. So he's not too worried about his job being taken away from him. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you around creativity. Is there ways throughout your career and personal life that you've found opportunities to recharge that creativity? Do you find like, do you think of things when you're on a walk? Do you like enjoy um, walking through cities or other places around the world to gain creativity or how, yes. do, how do you re recharge that? Uh, one of the questions I was asked on this list was the competitions that my late partner and I used to, and although we, we entered a few competitions, we were nominated for the innovation and engineering award in the UK by our clients. And we won the masonry. I mean, we won a few things. That's fun. Um, but one of the things that we liked about the competitions, it was a way to try out new ideas and hang mm. out and talk and discuss architectural theory, things like that. So even though we were trying to win the competition, winning was secondary to how do you enhance your practice? How do you take it in a new direction? How do you make life more pleasurable in terms of having to do work? And he was a very, my, my uh, joint venture partner was very, very intelligent guy. He, he was in university before he was old enough to drive. And he was at the Sorbonne in Paris. He won the French history medal at the Sorbonne in Paris. Mm -hmm. He went for summer study. He debated at Oxford. Uh, he got an award, the faculty at, at uh, University of Michigan, when he graduated, gave him an award because he taught the faculty more stuff than they could have taught <laughs> in architecture. Wow. And we had been, we, we had gone to school together in Cincinnati and he went off to, to Michigan and I went off to, to WSU, Washington State. And then after he graduated, he was in LA and he got his license and he said, oh, Dennis, come on down. And so we did work. We had a, a studio a block from Venice Beach. So I would go up in the morning nice. and go out in the sand and do my Tai Chi as they were oh, lovely. the homeless people off. <laughs> Which <laughs> the downer part, that's the part nobody wants to show you. <laughs> you know, and it's kind of tragic. But the lesson I learned from that experience, just going down to the beach in the morning where they're being rounded up is, okay, we really need to do something about homelessness mm -hmm. i'm not sure what so he and i did we've done habitat for humanity projects where we did a whole block of housing we've done pro bono work uh designing emergency shelters things like that because you know that's that's something i got from walking down to the end of the street and saying mm -hmm. hey here's an issue that mm -hmm. you know we might be able to contribute to um i've traveled quite a bit and i've worked the most fun thing i ever had was being sent to italy for two weeks to talk to these people we were doing a church and the church committee commissioned this uh, a statue done by this group in in florence so dennis speaks italian let's send dennis to florence <laughs> so i go and you know you go in and i kind of got off the topic but i'll get back to it so i I go and I walk in and 
you have to have espresso and you sit there and the beautiful receptionist is there. And we know nothing about this, this group. They're supposed to be pretty good. So I said, you know, and the studio looks like a wrecking yard almost, you know, I mean, there's tools there and there's people coming and going. And there's a big studio workspace in the back. And I said to them, I said, you know, uh, the committee's hired you to do this, you know, but they don't really know anything about you. Like, do you have any, you know, what's your experience doing these kinds of things? So the older guy, he's probably, he was probably in his sixties, maybe at the time, super, super polite, takes me over to this table and he shows me this piece of, uh, was a lighting fixture. And he said, well, he said, we're right now, we're reproducing these fixtures for the, Winter Palace in St. Petersburg for the Russian government. So they were, I said, okay, fine. Now I know you can do the work. I can work <laughs> back, <laughs> you know, and that was it. But very, it was just kind of nonchalant, just the way he said it. Oh yeah, we're doing this for, you know, for mm -hmm. St. Petersburg. And it's like, holy cow, you know, wow. apologize wow. for asking you a question. <laughs> no, and then we went for lunch <laughs> and had a good time. So as you do but in I'm, Italy. I'm sorry. I said, as you do in Italy, go. Yeah, for of course. Yeah. Yeah. Take a break. <laughs> yeah. So I, my two week uh, vacation was uh, three hours and <laughs> with these guys in Florence. And then I had the rest of the time to go visit family and went to my cousin's daughter's wedding. And That sounds like a pretty sweet trip. Yeah. Do you get to go back to Italy often? Uh, I've been back a few times. We took the kids when they were younger. We're going to go, not this year, next year we're going to Florence. Um, and I'll go probably go visit my cousins. They're near Venice, so we can hang nice. out in Venice. I love Venice. But Florence is my favorite city of all time, I have to say. Mm -hmm. uh, this year we're going to China, Taiwan, Hong Kong, and then Beijing and Xi'an to see the terracotta warriors. Oh, amazing. So I have full closure on my archaeology degree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say it's like come full, it's now full, circle, full right? circle. Does that mean that after that trip, you can like officially retire? Or <laughs> well, I can retire for that part of my life, I think. <laughs> I don't know. And so, what's going on there? As we've been talking, I feel like you would be a great, um, a great person to join a pub quiz night or a uh, <laughs> game of Jeopardy because I feel like you have so much knowledge in so many different areas of life. Yeah, I don't remember a lot of stuff now that I'm older. My son's the trivia expert. He he could kick butt all the time. But uh, the more the more I I mean, when Adrienne our our daughter was young, you know, I I would forget things, and she said, "Well, Dad, I know why you forget things." She says, "You got so much in your head that pieces fall out." Oh. <laughs> There's so much falling space out in there. Fast, yeah, it's falling out. <laughs> faster rate than it's coming in so I'm, I'm not sure that, that theory holds up but we were talking about inspiration one yeah. of the things I like like Hong Kong I like yeah. the street level life you know you go out and it's kind of an organic growth it's not really planned a lot of the streets it kind of just grew up mm. my wife's from Hong Kong so I get a different perspective I get to go where not necessarily the tourist spots but the thing that impresses me about that is their act is the activity. There's sort of a cohesiveness. People are busy, people are rushing, but there's still an interaction where if you go like to a high-rise building, say downtown Calgary, 
they have a big open courtyard, but you will never see that kind of interaction or sort of community, for lack of a better word, spirit or thinking mm -hmm. that you see in a lot of these places. You know, I mean, there's pickpockets and crime in some places that are crowded, sure, but there's pickpockets and crime everywhere. Yeah. Right? Oh. Mm -hmm. But I kind of ignore that. I'm, I pay attention to my passport and wallet. But what I'm saying is mm -hmm. I just kind of thrive on, on being in that environment. It's so interesting. You see so many things. You see people, street fashion, trends, you know, stuff that that's coming out or should come out or will come out. You see all sorts of things that you don't pay a lot of attention to. So, and it's designed in one way or another. And I think a lot of times is, designers we kind of have that snobby sort of mm. attitude mm -hmm. so when I, I i lecture do you know shad it's the gifted high school students that get together for, oh yes yeah. yeah yeah so i i i did five or six summers lecturing on design and architecture and then last summer and this coming summer we were i was on the judging panel for the projects in at the university of calgary but there's a slide that I always show when I talked about design in various universities. It's this kitschy thing I picked up in Hawaii. It's called the hula shark. And it's a shark and it's got a lay and it's got the mm -hmm. grass hula skirt, <laughs> you know. And I always show that slide. And the reason I show that slide is somebody designed it. Whether it's good design or bad design, I like it. It's kind of, it's really kitschy. You know, I'd, I'd like to buy a hundred of them and then just give them out to people. <laughs> but the thing is, somebody took the time to think about that and come up with, come up with the idea and develop that idea and make a mold and, and put a grass skirt on and stick it in, you know, stick it in the container. And, and we tend to forget that that's a part of design. So organic growth on the street is design that's kind of spontaneous. You know, like, so we, we you know, we put the blinders on and it's, a, you know, it's Gucci or it's a coach purse or mm -hmm. it's, a, you know, Giorgio Armani, one of my favorite guys. Uh, and we tend to forget that there's a lot, all the other stuff that goes on behind being a designer or creating mm -hmm. ideas. So. I'd love to know with you saying that and with you saying, um, you know, walking around street level Hong Kong or wherever you are, um, with having that architecture knowledge and background, what do you, what stands out for you when you're walking down a high street? Like when you're out and about, you're going to see things very differently to how I see things. What is, what's that? Maybe not as you? good as you see things either. <laughs> <laughs> but like what do you end up seeing like what do you what kinds of things do you notice okay i can give you two examples when adrian graduated from ual in london uh-huh so the london college of fashion we went over for her convocation ceremony i went around and i took pictures of the tops of the buildings in london mm -hmm. because there's a lot of stuff going on that that people who are walking at a street level they don't look up right and I looked and there's, you know, there's little pergolas and there's staircases that don't go anywhere. There's all sorts of various, you know, so I, I thought it'd be nice to do uh, 
do a book, you know, 21 rooftops in London or something like that. Mm -hmm. Anybody out there listening, they can have the idea. <laughs> <laughs> and then the last time I was in Italy, you know, we go, uh, my son has a history degree and he studied art history. And he and my wife took a Renaissance art course before mm -hmm. we went to Italy. So when we went, they already, you know, they'd seen everything, the little black and white four by four inch illustrations. And then you go and see, you know, Veronese's and it's 30 feet high and, you know, 50 feet long. And the smallest child in the thing is taller than I am. Yeah. You know, you get a, a completely different sort of perspective. So they're looking at things differently because they're looking at slides or, or textbooks. And what I did the last time I was in Italy is I looked at the backgrounds in the paintings, like the hillside towns and things like that, where, you know, you look at the Mona Lisa, okay, there she is, her big smile, which is in France, not in Italy, but similar kinds of paintings. Mm -hmm. But what's going on in the background? Well, there's a fortress, there's a hilltop, you know, there's, there's, it's funny you should say that because obviously when you mentioned the Mona Lisa, your mind, you instantly can picture her. Yeah. But your your brain doesn't go to the full picture. It just no, it looks doesn't at go her. Along, yeah, it doesn't mm. go beyond that. So I made a conscious effort and I I took photos of the backgrounds. So I have a picture, you know, touristy picture. Here's the touristy picture of uh, Veronese, for for example, or or can't think of any Italian painters at the moment. <laughs> See, don't just, get so we, just so you can spend time <laughs> focusing on the rest of the, the painting. And yeah, so just... I'm looking at the back. So I have a picture of the of the whole piece, and then I focus on the background. Mm. And that gives you, it, you, you start to see that the painter, and I'm not an art historian, I don't claim to be, but the painter is putting in way more stuff then you, the observer, are taking in. Mm -hmm. And I think architecture is like that. That's why I like Chinese architecture, garden design especially, because the design is, is drawing you through the building, through the garden. Mm -hmm. And when you come back, you get a completely different experience. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that, that a lot of architecture nowadays is missing so and and i think if you're a good architect part of your job is to try and educate the client mm -hmm. right because you to so in our practice the architect is the agent of the client the contractor doesn't work for the client the contractor works for himself mm -hmm. so you kind of have to protect the client and i've had to do it in too many too many examples where you have to fight tooth and nail and the contractor will try and go around you, you know, and talk to the client directly so he can cut a quarter and make more money and not, you know, I'm not to say everybody's like that, but there are those examples that I've personally experienced. So I think you have to listen to the client. You have to respect the budget, which a lot of people don't do. A lot of architects don't do. And the other thing is you have to give them more, than they're anticipating. Mm -hmm. And I think if you don't do that and you're 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 working as an architect for the client, they should fire you. <laughs> and I'm serious about that because mm -hmm. you need you need to really understand what the client wants. 
you have to say, hey, that's not a good idea. And the other rule we have besides working on behalf of the client is we always reserve the right to fire the client because there's some clients and it's got nothing to do with money. There's some clients who just want to do stuff that's, for lack of a better word, stupid. And you know <laughs> it'll be a disaster if you allow them to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so, and I love my clients mm-hmm. except for two of them. So we fired two clients in 34 years. So that's okay. a- we won't name <laughs> names on the podcast. That's, that's yeah, we seems, won't name names, but I can email no. with them. <laughs> it's, um, it's funny you say all of that about um rooftops and backgrounds. That's actually the way I hear music is like listening, not necessarily to the, the lyrics or the front singer, but the melody going on in the background and on the instruments. That's how yeah, like my brain listens to music sometimes. Like I'll be like, oh, do you hear that drum beat? And someone will say, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And uh, yeah, that's, it's really cool. And also when I'm back to my partner, but when the two of us go out for meals together, sometimes he's staring at the ceiling because he's looking at the, yeah, yeah. the electrical yeah, and just exactly. in general, yeah. how things are, you know, looking sketchy. We went to this jazz club when we were in Thailand. And of course, I mean, things in Southeast Asia are not, not very well designed. Yeah. Um, so we're sitting on this balcony with no railing and watching this band play jazz in this really crowded bar with these, you know, the floors kind of slanting and you don't quite know if you're going to fall off, but you're kind of uh, hope you don't, but um, no, it's, it's so funny, but it's so, it's that so, too. Yeah. Yeah. You know. But I, it's interesting you mentioned sound because that's neglected. So mm-hmm. there's a famous Italian architect, Carlo Scarpa, uh, who, who started the IUAV, which is the architecture school in Venice. And he designed the Brion Vega tomb, which I think is in the latest Doom. He used it as a background. Oh, okay. He spent six months rearranging the floor, the slabs of, of stone that form the walkway, rearranging them to get certain tones when you stepped on them. So it's exactly the kind of thing you're talking about, the drum in the back. It's subtle and you may not hear Mm -hmm. it or notice it, but it contributes to sort of the cohesiveness of, in your case, it's the band. As long as you're not too close to the railing to see how how you're doing, you're okay. But it's also the cohesiveness of of the architecture itself. And those kinds of things kind of get lost. Yeah. We have a budget. Mm-hmm. We have a time frame. Right. People don't. When... Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to say when you can tap into, uh, you know, as many senses as you can in, in one place, you know, smell, sound, hear, yeah. um, you know, touch, all the things. That's I cool. think for me, it's all about, it's all about the feeling, you know, like when it comes to being in like, I think one, and I, obviously there'll be people who disagree, but when the, um, the new library was built in Calgary, that that felt pretty awesome going in for the first time and having so many different things to look at and the sounds and how the noise traveled and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. and I think you're right in that sometimes that does get lost due to budgets and stuff like that. But if it doesn't and if it's something that people can hold on to, it ends up adding these really special elements I think that sometimes you wish were paid more detail to and an example is um I remember seeing this whole thing around how designs being simplified and it, it talked about little things for example even like um 
park benches, for example, and how they used to be so like ornate and detailed, but now it's just like a really simple structure and all this like day to day things that you can walk past in the street and kind of not notice. But if they do have this extra element, these details in there, like you say, the cornicing on whatever building it is or whatever, Mm -hmm. if you suddenly remove all of that, you, you kind of lose something. And that was something for me moving from the UK to Canada. Obviously, there's there was that difference in architecture and, and noticing that, you know, obviously everything's a lot newer here. Um, yeah. And so you would have that different focus. And so that was quite interesting. Um, but I think it's just almost like a shame in a way that we're yeah. losing a bit of that. But we, you know, we're subject to modernism. I mean, that mm-hmm. was... The everything was sort of clean lines, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, I was accused my 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 late business partner Tip Scott was his name. Tip always accused me of being a closet modernist. He says <laughs> the only thing that saves you is you like color, because <laughs> they were all stark white buildings. Yeah, neutral know. and yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, don't get me wrong, I love a neutral white. Um, I'm a minimalist, mm-hmm. and yeah. and my big thing uh, is is light. I like light. I, I, the last, well, second last job I did was for my niece and her husband at the retirement house. And they went out and bought the land mm-hmm. before I even saw it. And then phoned me and said, I know uncle Dennis, you don't really have time to do this, but can you design us a house? <laughs> and they were lucky. They had a Southern exposure. So they get beautiful morning light and it goes all the way around to the back of the house or the, the side of the house Nice through the two story windows. And because it's a small house, they were limited. I, I look at how do you how do you sort of create openness and small structures? And how do you create intimacy in large places? Mm-hmm. And we we did an island complex, building complex on an island for the senior vice president of DuPont in the US. And it was a, a series of connected buildings so the kids had their own quarters and mm-hmm. you know they had the tennis court and they had their private space and this and that oh, that's and, nice you know but you still have to create sort of intimacy even though you have a huge you had a big budget and a huge building to work with how do you create things that really appeal to the census and, and do those things how are we doing for time I have one quick question before our last one, um, okay. because we're talking about minimalism and the senses and all these aspects of design, sustainability in design. Yes. Um, is there any specific projects you've worked on? I know um, there's certain countries and cities in the world that do a great job with green roofs and, and things like that. But are there any projects that stand out to you that you've worked on that incorporate sustainability into design? So we designed a straw bale house. Wow. Oh. Yeah, for a young couple, they were like we we do a we used to do a range of projects. Like I I don't do that much anymore. I've done two or three projects in the last two years. But we did a they were a young couple. They wanted something very environmental, so we designed them a straw bale house. Uh, we did co-op housing for uh, the footprint was twenty four hundred four hundred and twenty square feet, so twenty by twenty two, I think something like mm-hmm. that. It was nine units on an acreage that was self-sustained, so they had all that stuff. We did that. We've we've done uh, uh, co-op uh, co-op stores. 
not not co-op like in Calgary co-op, but like uh, cooperative uh, delicatessen and grocery store like natural foods and That's cool. and that, that was energy efficient. So that Very took cool. a lot of and passive most of this. So we're not into one of the problems with the technology is everybody jumps on the bandwagon. Yeah. Oh, we're going to use solar panels. Okay, but we have to manufacture them and recycle them. And, mm -hmm. you know, by the time the life cycle's over, you only have about three years to regain, you know, your, your investment. Uh, concrete printed houses, I think, are a disaster because we're running out of sand to do concrete. Mm -hmm. So uh, what else have we done? We, we did a study for a French company on container utilizing old containers, metal oh, containers yeah. for housing and office buildings. And that's becoming quite like the cool thing, isn't it? Yeah. It's more expensive and it's not as energy efficient. No. I mean, it's like putting siding. The metal yep. container is the siding. You still have to insulate it yeah. if you're in this kind of weather and you still have to do a lot of stuff. And I've done <laughs> prefabricated. I did a prefabricated project where everything was manufactured in a warehouse and that's quite that's becoming a lot more common now hey like yeah. people are getting them all built up and then shipped out to them and it means you can put the skeleton up in the space of like a day yeah this was three days start to finish and it had a nice curved roof yeah it's kind of crazy <laughs> yeah. wow cool but, but i guess all... then then there's the issue around having everything has to be so insanely precise that well you... no because they're most the one the while the one i did it was a slab on grade like you would do a garage mm. oh so you don't really have to worry about basements. And I, I nice, when yeah. I first started out, I had a client. He used to buy old houses and move them onto the acreages, and then, and then, you know, create basements and then plop the houses down. <laughs> the guy he hired to move the houses, all his, uh, or the guy he hired to do the concrete, all of his stuff was out by eighteen inches. So none of the houses fit. Oh my god! We had to go back in. <laughs> so. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, yeah, it was. A, <laughs> we eventually solved it. He, so you know, there's there's houses with two foot thick uh, basement walls instead of eight. <laughs> <laughs> he had to salvage it somehow. But wow, wow, those are such and yeah, interesting and different projects. Yeah, we have um, friends who have worked in the world of um, the container buildings and container houses and didn't seem to be as energy efficient as you were saying or or yeah, no, um, cheap as people think <laughs> yeah certainly not so mm, yeah anyhow okay the last question yeah Suze, you're on it i threw in some wild cards there so okay. no, we we always love a wild card um so something we always ask everybody just this is kind of just for fun you know this can be anything so tell us something that not many people know about you. Okay, I can tell you two quick things. Love it. My mar uh, my parallel career, it wasn't really a career. I was a martial artist. I trained in Taiwan with the Chinese military special forces. And I spent six weeks in China, in Beijing, training martial arts with the bodyguard instructors unit for the president. Wow. Yeah. That's so cool. I yeah, I've trained military, Canadians, uh, U.S. Special Forces. I trained peacekeepers for deployment to Bosnia and NATO peacekeepers. That's very cool. So, I mean, so I, wouldn't, I wasn't expecting that, 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 so that's area, cool. Yeah, so people who know me from that don't know I'm an architect. And people who know me, except for one or two, 
That's so my funny. kids didn't know about the military stuff. The <laughs> people who know me as an architect don't know me from the other side. You've so managed. You you fit a lot in, Dennis. Let's face yeah. it. Well, I've been around a while. The second thing is Donald Duck helped me learn how to read. Oh, right? that's a that's great a, one. Yes. So when I was a little kid, I loved Donald Duck comics. And my mother at breakfast, and I'm talking like four or five, she would read the comics to me. And of course, I'd make her read the same stories over and over again. Mm -hmm. She'd get tired. She'd try and skip words and leave words out or skip a panel or something mm -hmm. I'd say no 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 he, Donald is saying this and I would read it back to her because I had memorized so I always oh, Donald fun. Duck taught me how to read or helped me learn to read so that's does that mean how can you do a Donald impression <gasps> oh, so that was really good I'm gonna need you to do that one more time Dennis <laughs> That's how we're going to open the episode this week. That was that's go. actually that's actually adorable. I love that. That's so cute. Yeah, my wife just shakes her head and she said, "You know, you always told me I was I can choose to ignore you, so this time I'm ignoring you." Oh, <laughs> but it's so cute though. Yeah. Oh, so that's good. Fun. Oh, well, today's conversation has been such a pleasure, Dennis. Thank you. I just we didn't really I didn't really know you that well, so I've learned so much. How you do? Now I do. Now I know, you and know, even job is safe. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's good. He's right. Sitting behind the, uh, the laptop. Except now well. I would say there's a, a whole other boatload of questions, isn't there? Like that was, oh. that was really interesting. Like, like I say, you I feel like you fit so much in and it all sounds like you just have put a lot into all of these things. And it's so interesting to learn and listen. Oh, I like it. And get your perspectives. And uh, yeah, thank you for sharing. Yeah. No, I like my life. Yeah. Like I have a good life. I have a happy, I have a beautiful wife that translates uh, Chinese stuff for me. That I <laughs> myself, even though sometimes she wants to tear her hair out. And everything else is fine. My health is reasonably well. I'm not blind anymore. That's a, good <laughs> that's a bonus for sure. I've yeah. No, no that's, complaints that's whatsoever. So cool. That's great. That's yeah. amazing. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate this. I know Emily and I both feel the same. Um, thanks, Dennis. I feel like after that, we need a pop quiz. I agree. That's why I said it in the episode. Because there was so many different things that we could have learned it's also the kind of stuff I know you talked about it before but like like with that guy you met in the dog park but like the scratching of the surface right in terms mm -hmm. of there's so much more to talk about or to learn about and I'm like the kind of person too that every I feel like people who've worked with me closely know I do this and um I'm that person who just asks questions and I just want to know and I just get curious and so like I know that what we do before this is we always come up with like some questions, obviously to guide the person we're talking to. We don't want to give them any like surprise um, questions or whatever. Um, although we end up going off on tangents, I know that. Mm -hmm. And obviously we did that with this, which was awesome. But I just feel like it's because it ends up unfurling so many more questions that I have. Totally, totally. And I think I, most of my questions came during the conversation and I know yeah. we have 
had prepared Dennis with some questions, but I was like, oh, I'm going to throw in it, throw in it. I know one. that's kind of the problem, isn't it? Because mm. you're like, oh, but you've just said this and now I want to know more about this. Like now I want to know more about um his interest, you know, in like, what was it with Chinese um history and archaeology yeah. and all that kind of stuff? Like now I want to know more about Even that. Even martial arts. Like what was that? That was a great oh, God, right? surprise. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Definitely surprised. Wasn't expecting him to say that. Mm-hmm. You know the um, you know that holiday, the movie, the holiday. Yes, Kate Winslet and Cameron yes. Diaz, and the old man who has that lifetime achievement award. Mm-hmm. I feel like Dennis is in like twenty years going to be that guy mm-hmm. who like is like I don't want to talk about my you know success, but mm-hmm. he's just got so many, and he still works with students in architecture, and he is adapting to you know the way that it's being taught in the modern day, and um. Yeah, he was so cool. I really enjoyed that conversation. And he was just, he's just so passionate about what he does. And he ties in his background, Italian background and Canadian background into all of it too, which is, which is super cool. Yeah. Cause he's kind of now got these influences, Italian, Chinese, and like Mm -hmm. North American, which is interesting. I am one of the things that um, he didn't really get into in this, but we know about is, he obviously he likes to do the the renderings of the the buildings he does in the traditional way, but also he likes to make the models as well. And mm-hmm. he was mentioning um afterwards that any clients that he has, he always makes them um, and provides them with the model, um which would be such a cool thing to have if you had a house built, having this little perfectly in scale model of your house um so i think we'll probably share some of those on our instagram and stuff too because they're pretty cool we definitely will yeah he sent some fun photos and i'm curious to see how his kids like the episode too and uh, if they find out anything new about him that he discussed and yeah that would be pretty fun wouldn't it Mm -hmm. do you remember that tv show um this is your life um, I, I remember I remember it I don't know if I ever saw it though I can't remember who presented it there'll be people listening right now who just instantly say the name of the person but the present the they were on stage and they presented them with like this red book which was like their personal like history and they'd bring on people who they used to know like this is your like grade seven teacher that you blah 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 and all this kind of stuff um I feel like he's also the kind of guy that that would be pretty cool thing to do with because there's so many different things mm-hmm. um that it would be really cool doing like a this is your life uh, I used to actually really like that show as a kid <laughs> I don't know like even though I knew nothing about these people I found it really interesting so maybe I was always meant to do this type of thing and get to know people more and basically pry and ask questions and be like cool tell me more um I feel like that's what this is and it's great when people like Dennis just kind of go yeah you know what I'm gonna open up and just tell you this various things Mm. that I did yeah yeah so interesting and so willing to answer all of our questions and take the time because I bet he's a busy guy still because he just refuses to retire so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. awesome all right yeah we don't have to end at the same all the time no I don't think so I don't think I always need to email us at blah 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 blah. follow us at blah 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 subscribe hit play hit review blah 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 (laughs) But now I want to include that in the. Emily says. Okay, fine. (laughs) I feel like I instantly go to, you know, the teacher on Charlie Brown. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, The Rugrats, too. Well, thanks everyone for listening to this week's episode. You can follow along at Unveiling the Ordinary on Instagram. You can email us if you have any questions or comments at 
unveilingtheordinary at gmail.com and tune in to more episodes to come in future weeks on wherever you get your podcasts. I thought you weren't going to do that. I did it for you. Thanks. (laughs) I feel like I'm outro girl and you're intro girl. You, (laughs) they are all superhero. I'm like, I'm like, get out of the party outro girl. And you're like, let's start the party intro girl. Which is funny because as an, as a full on introvert, I will Irish goodbye. And yeah, actually I think, yeah, I think that's actually the opposite for us. Whereas I feel bad, (laughs) I feel bad leaving. Whereas I, yeah, I full on will Irish goodbye any occasion. I like to tag on to people like that. I'm like, I'm coming with you. I'm not going to feel guilt about not saying goodbye to anybody. Yeah, you got to do it. Well, yeah. you, uh, when I obviously with Matt, he's the opposite and he yeah. will be that person who spends oh like three God. hours saying yeah, goodbye. John so will do the same. That's so funny. Oh okay, boy. well, sweet. Thanks. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, 